Welcome to the latest episode of Three Point Landings Quarantine Sessions. We are now in month, what is this? Two, three. What month is this? What's today? It, Wait, it's May the it 4th. Is, okay, it's May the 4th and Star Wars is still a thing. I think movies are still a thing. We, we haven't been outside in so long. I've been doing nothing but playing video games. I think this is all part of Matthew's plot to turn me into him. What? <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about remakes and remasters of video games that we enjoyed. Catch you up on what we've been playing. And, um, well, here we go. Hey, 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 Misha, Misha. All right, what's up? What's uh, up, Matthew? How you doing in quarantine? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm doing bad. So, uh, another night of three-point landing. Happy, 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 happy made a fourth day with you, to you, by the way. And also with you. We lift up our sabers to the George. <laughs> it is right to give him thanks and praise. May thanks he live forever in flannel. <laughs> <laughs> thanks be to Lucas, our George. Um, yeah, no. Um, so, May the 4th, do you have any plans for, for like, uh, the rest of the month in terms of celebrating Star Wars? Lots, actually. I mean, I'd love to say lots, but actually, it's been pretty quiet today. I've been mostly working and stuff, actually. But then again, I was, I was never the kind to, you know, throw on a cloak and all that. Mm. Not like some people who get married. Wow, wow, bro. No, <laughs> you know, they get married with lightsabers and, you know, <laughs> dress up for the occasion. Do we know anyone like that? That would be me. That would be me. Misha really? Calling me to, Misha's calling me out. He's calling me out for the fact <laughs> that I had a Star Wars wedding seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. We had, yeah. We had, it looked, I, it we looked had, like fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's cool because you know um, uh, we didn't really want to go denominational anyway with the with the, with the ceremony, so we just went with geek denominational. Hey, it looked again. It looked very fun. <laughs> so, um, what else have you been up to? I mean, clearly you haven't just gotten married. That was seven years ago. So, what have you been up to lately? Uh, well, lately I have been playing. I've been playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, our review copy for review. Uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Did yeah, you review yeah, no. it? Uh, I'm gonna. I just finished it this morning, so I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start tomorrow, like writing it up. I got some notes and all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll re-review it. You'll be seeing it on the on the site hopefully by the end of the week. I know mm-hmm. I'm not gonna be the first person to be reviewing Final Fantasy VII Remake, but that is, you know, that's what happens when Sony gives you the copy on launch day. <laughs> <laughs> So what did you think? I mean, I've been hearing a lot of things. I played through the demo a couple of months ago. I loved it. I mean, just from what I experienced in the demo, how far off is that from the actual game? Um, you know what? Uh, I, I, I don't want, I'm not going to spoil anything about the game, but I'm going to tell you it's an astonishing tour de force. Like, I, uh, I am not a fan of the Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy series or Final Fantasy VII. And so, you know... And I'm not even a big JRPG fan, but I took on this game because I thought, like, you know, I wanna, I wanna experience it as someone who is not like very enthusiastic about. It. And it's great. It's it's so rad. Like, not just is it a good game, but it's a good game that's constantly in conversation with itself as a text. Um, without saying too much, Final Fantasy VII Remake doesn't just take the original story and update it with brand new spanking AAA visuals and fully voice acted. You know, spectacle, which they could have done. Yeah, which they could have if they did it beat by beat, and it does do most of the beats. Like we would all have been happy. Um, earlier today, I actually just finished a spoiler cast um, with my friends at Too Much Gaming, um, right, right, on the on the TMG podcast. We did a whole spoiler cast, and we kind of agreed that yeah, if the game did not do take do any of the risks it took or uh, changes it made, we would still have been happy, and. But we're happy even with all that stuff. And like, yeah, uh, again, um, it's really worth playing because um, I think after this game, when they make release the rest of the Final Fantasy VII series of, of games, because it's going to be episodic. I realize not everyone knows that. Final Wait, to me, it's not, it's not done. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII Remake is, is, not, uh, is not a complete retelling of the entire original Final Fantasy VII experience. It is simply 
a retelling of the first 10 hours of the game. My life is a lie. I did not know that. Wait, so that <laughs> means in a year, I'm going to have to buy like a deluxe box with everything included. I don't know if that is the manifestation that it will ultimately take. You know they're going to do it. But it is very probable. <laughs> you know they're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. I don't want to give up all that hard drive space for DLCs. <laughs> I know, right? And you know how uh, I know you're buying physical most of the time, but don't judge game, me. No, no, no. I'm just bringing it up because so, you know, so it's different for you. Uh, it's 85 gigabytes on the digital. Yeah, but you're not counting on the future chapters. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is it's already this fucking big? Okay, yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. And, and, so uh, and, like, and I don't, so, I don't need that kind uh, of pressure. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I'm not. I'm, I am. I am echoing your sentiment. I'm saying is if it's already 85 gigabytes. What's going to freaking happen when the three or four or five parts come out and suddenly we're looking at 250 to 360 gigabytes of hard drive space eaten up by Final Fantasy VII alone? Okay. And that's, that, that, that's like everything on my piddling little 500 gigabyte PlayStation 4 hard drive. Piddling. <laughs> okay, yeah. wait. I got to ask. I got to ask. Did you play the original by any chance? I did. Okay. I did. How did I didn't it like up? it at all. <laughs> really? I didn't like it at all. I don't. I don't carry this this point a lot because I don't feel like it's uh, respectful or necessary for me to tell everybody that I don't like FF Seven. Who you know, which is if the game I like is the game you like. I don't like. Therefore, you must not like it. No, I don't. I don't subscribe to that horse crap. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not even going that far. I yeah, just want to yeah. know. If, I just want to know if you have the frame of reference. Yeah, I to do. compare. What's new? What's different? What they did faithfully? What they translated well? That kind of thing. I, I don't care whether like you like the old one. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. gives a little bit of insight, but um, I, I, I'm hoping. I mean, I like to believe that a good remake can stand on its own. Oh, that's an interesting question, actually. Because okay, so I want to speak to the first part. Yeah, I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of frame. I have a big frame. I have frame of reference to appreciate and understand the man when the game is like. Echoing the source material and differentiate, differencing, making differences from it. So, right, totally. right. Uh, the other question you had is like whether it, a newcomer or a veteran will appreciate it. I think, I think some of the vagaries of the game will be lost on newcomers. I think it's pretty newcomer friendly, but sometimes points will be peppered in the game that sort of indicate that there's supposed to be stronger resonance if you have already experienced this plot point before. You're talking about fan service. Um, not. Uh, there is a bit of fan service at the end, but I. What I mean is like fan okay, service, I, Easter eggs, that kind of thing. Can I? Can I? Okay. Can we? Can we take the spoiler gloves off? Not for Final Fantasy VII remake, but for Final Fantasy VII, a twenty-three-year-old game. <laughs> wait a minute. You're saying wait? They don't have the same plot. Um, they do, but I. In order for me to talk about FF7 remake, I would like to have permission. To talk about FF Seven, I don't think you need permission to spoil a twenty-three-year-old game. Exactly. So, thank you. So, um, like we know, for example, that a, a pivotal character dies in Final Fantasy Seven, and what the game does the remake is it sort of. <laughs> I, I love does, that you're tap dancing around it. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. They do sort of like visual like fake outs about that. No, I mean, you're um, tap dancing about calling out names yeah. and stuff. But okay, yeah, yeah. fine. Because I'm sure we're going to offend somebody at some point. So yeah, just be yeah. safe. Yeah, so they do some visual fake outs on that. Or um, there is a character who uh, is exists in background lore of the game. Um, right, right. I'll spoil it now. Say, I'll, <laughs> I'll say, no, 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 here, this one. Uh, Aerith has, an, has a boyfriend. She talks about this openly. It's not a big deal in the whole text of the game. She has a boyfriend, and in this version of the story, the boyfriend is invoked but never named. No and kidding. And so, so, so for me, like for me, I'm like, oh, that's that's you know, like they're they're talking about Zach. And right. For for I imagine for some newcomers, they'll be like, who who was that guy? Like I don't get it. But is, was that supposed to mean anything to me? Okay, okay. Because yeah, here's yeah. my thing with remakes, okay? I don't care if it's a game or if it's a movie or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, if you're going to be doing a remake of something from ground, from, from scratch, like this one is, like Resident Evil 2, like Res Resident Evil 3 got, right? 
If you're yeah, going to be doing yeah. a remake from scratch, as opposed to just putting some fancy new graphics on the same old thing, remastering something that already existed, you better have something that you can contribute, you know, to the lore. Where you have mm. something new to say, but there's some fidelity to what came before. Otherwise, uh-huh. what's the point? Because, you know, uh, you'll just be offending like two sets of people. You'll be offending the newcomers who don't get what all the fuss is about. You'll be offending the old people who who wanted to recapture some of that nostalgic feeling. Oh, okay. Now, you know what? Then I can speak positively to Final Fantasy VII because I think 95% it stands on its own as newcomers, but also it adds a little bit of stuff that's new. In fact, there's this, uh, there's this side character in Final Fantasy VII remake who's not present in Final Fantasy VII. And he has a great line. He go like, if you defeat all of his challenges, and this is a this is a pretty tough thing to do, by the way. But uh, this was made revealed to me by a, by a colleague. If you defeat all of his combat challenges, uh, he'll talk about he'll do some info lore dump uh, on you. But he'll also say something to the effect of, uh, "It's nice not knowing how things will turn out for a change." He says, hmm. and and that is subtle. The, yeah, and that is, um, without saying too much, that is the the direction that Final Fantasy VII Remake has charted for itself. I don't think it will get rid of Costa del Sol. I don't think they'll get rid of uh, the boat where the, the, the boat where, where Barrett is. I don't go, uh, goes on in a sailor outfit. I don't think they will uh, get rid of the date sequences or anything like that. But they're basically saying, guys, we promise to retell, we promise to tell the story, but give us this latitude to reinvent and reimagine things that's fair i think yeah okay yeah okay. And, it's, and it's super cool I, I i look forward to the day that you play it because it's it's i think it's it's really exciting i think the closest thing i can compare that excitement to is the very first time i watched the star trek 2009 2009 reboot right right before before it was savaged by subsequent films um there was a sense of Excitement and possibility. Right, right. Because you know that, these that, are characters that, you knew and love, but it's a new situ- new situations, new shiny ship. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed that first one very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so definitely there. Because, like, for my part, um, if you're going to be doing a remake of any kind, you got to do justice to the original, if it was something good. Yeah. But if you're going to be remaking something that was garbage, then I say go nuts do everything mm-hmm. right that the old one did wrong. You know what I mean? Or sometimes things are both. Like, for example, some games or some movies and video and, and TV shows are, as a whole, great, but there are problematic elements in them. So what you want to do is, like, you want to recapture that magic, but you also want to redress past wrongs. And that's, <clears throat> that's something that is a worthwhile endeavor, I think, to sort of like, all right, we're going to do this all over again. But that stuff, if we know you like this thing in spite of that thing, we're mm-hmm. going to do it again. Except that in that that in spite of thing, we're gonna change that hopefully. That's right. I mean, like yeah. one of my favorite shows ever was um, Battlestar Galactica, <clears throat> the two thousand five version. Oh, I love that show too. Because Go if on. you if you look at that show <clears throat> and what it has to say about the human condition, politics, loyalty, honor, uh, basically it was like Game of Thrones in space. Okay. Mm-mm-mm. With just as much backstabbing and like a hundred times more lasers. But, but the show that it was based off of, it was like a late 70s Star Wars knockoff that, mm-hmm. you know, that was just terrible. Like, I can't even watch 10 minutes of the original Galactica <laughs> without, you know, just cringing so hard because it's completely, completely unironic, but it's campy as all hell because they didn't know any better. And the funny part is that they were so blatant about ripping off Star Wars, or at least some people thought they were, that they got sued for it. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Uh, the guys who made the Battlestar Galactica reboot series, mm. um, you know, R- R- Ronald Moore and David Icke and the like, I think they're very kind and very excessively sweet to keep talking about the 1979 series in a pseudo-positive light. They're always like, they're very gracious about <laughs> saying, they're always very gracious about saying like, oh, what we did would not have been possible. Like, I'm like, you don't have to do that, but I get it. That's true. <laughs> but okay, here's the thing. And that's where we go back a little bit into nostalgia. Because I figured those guys were like 10, 12 years old when the original Galactica came out, you know? Fair, fair, fair. So it hit them at the right age, I guess, to be less critical of that sort of thing. It hit them yeah, right in their sweet spot. 
Yeah, we're talking yeah. a twenty-four year age gap, uh, year gap between the the reboot and the and the original series. So definitely, I think your 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 estimation holds correct. No, because like seriously, I mean, haven't you ever gone back to something that you loved back in the day, and you're just what the hell was I thinking? I don't. If I say I never look back, does that mean I'm not very self-aware, or does it mean I'm very confident? You mean you've never revisited anything that you loved uh, 20, 30 years ago, and thought to yourself, "What was I thinking?" Never. I, it's never occurred to you. The word is not never. More like it would require me to actually think about it. That's how deep I would have to plumb. I think it's not a. <laughs> it's. I'm not trying to be boastful. I'm saying is I think it's happened seldom enough that I had to really find it. <laughs> no, I mean, you don't even need to go far. I mean, like for me, yeah. I mean, you just look up old Thundercats episodes on YouTube and it's like, holy hell, what was oh. I smoking as a child? Oh, dear God. Dear See, God, you, dear now God. you know, now you know what I'm talking about, right? Because yeah. like a lot of those old shows were, you know, they were like 30 minute toy commercials and a lot <laughs> of them don't hold up. Some of them still do. The real Ghostbusters is excellent. I mean, that still holds up. Um, yeah, because they got they got good the, writers for that show. Am I they right? really they really did. Uh, Michael Straczynski who created Babylon Five, mm-hmm. and um, but but things like Thundercats. Honestly, aside from the the opening titles, I I can't get through an episode because it's just so cheesy. And I don't know if it was just the rose tinted glasses of nostalgia and happy childhoods, but not not a single episode of that show looks anywhere near as good as the opening titles. Yeah, and you know what? the voice acting is kind of off. Like, I think the guys are mostly serviceable, and if you if you give them the latitude of if you give them like leeway and say like, well, it's the 1980s, this is a very different voice acting aesthetic. I think the ones who suffer the most with the hindsight are the women. The women all they all sound like Lionel, <laughs> like they all have these weird nasal why, voices. Why do you sound like Skeletor? <laughs> That's what they sound like. They sound, they're like some of the women sound like Skeletor. <laughs> You're so mean to Skeletor or the women. I'm not sure, but anyways. <laughs> but but they, you know, they they do. I will I will look up old Thundercats clips and show you. Not that I actually you probably don't want me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but you know, there are some instances of like shows um, that came out <clears throat> way back when and still hold up pretty well now. Which makes you wonder why anyone in their right mind would even attempt a reboot or uh, a remake. And one of those is um, DuckTales. Because that oh. is just, hands down, that is brilliant, honestly. In either incarnation, I have no complaints. You mean the new one? The new, the new, the the new, new one is Duck- amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm not far into it. I'm not where I need to be in that series. But I watched like the first 10 episodes and I was like, fuck man, this is rad. You have to see the new season, like seriously. Yeah, I know. I know. I know there's. I know the, the story goes places, and the character and the lore goes places, and I'm like, oh, oh my man. god! Can I do a little bit of spoiler? No. Yeah, fine. No problem. No problem. No problem. Because this is something they announced at SDCC last year, so it's not really that big a spoiler. Because they had they put out a poster basically, right? And people mm-hmm. noticed that in that character poster, there were a lot of familiar faces from old Disney afternoon cartoon shows, that Darkwing Duck. Um, Tailspin, Goof Troop, they were all there in this poster. Rescue Rangers. And the producers at SDCC, they promised everyone that you're going to see all these characters at one point or another. And I've already seen a few of them show up, and it is just amazing. They don't necessarily show up the way that you would expect or, or, or hope for, but they're treated with such respect that it's just... Well, it's just incredible that they get away with it. That they're ha- It's clear that they're having so much fun making this show. And <clears throat> I-, I look forward to every new episode. DuckTales is awesome. Um, awesome. Then and now. And that is something hmm. that I can't, you can't say for many things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that brings me to another category, I guess, of remakes, which is remasters of like video games. All right. Because and that ties in. Uh, oh, I have a segue coming up. I have a segue that ties into Ducktales because one of the last remasters I played was Ducktales remastered. <laughs> oh, nice! They put that back on the Steam store. I think like they took it down for a while, then they put it back up. It got knocked down. Got up again. Okay, your hand it keeps you down. For anyone who's not familiar, <laughs> right? <laughs> for anyone who's not familiar, 
Um, DuckTales came out on the old family computer, the old Nintendo. It was a Capcom side-scroller. Um, it was a Metroidvania-style um, 2D platformer where you had to go to different areas and get new powers, and then you doubled back and you access areas you couldn't previously access. And all of it was done to look like the old DuckTales cartoon show, uh, which is beloved by you know, by an entire generation. And <clears throat> for the remaster, like some, what, 20, 30 odd years later, I think it came out 2013, 2015, something like that. The remaster, what they did was they basically took the limitations of the old 8-bit family computer and they threw them out the window. Here, nice. they, they redrew everything. They redrew it to, they actually animated it to look like an episode of the old show. And they got back the entire voice cast, everyone who was still alive, and they got them to voice their classic characters. But the gameplay was exactly the same, and it was awesome. Nice. And also, not for anything, I couldn't finish it to save my life back in the day. And just happy <laughs> they remastered it because I finally got a shot. Because this, this is the old days, you know, what they call um, the days of Nintendo hard, right? <laughs> Those games yeah. were evil. You're, how many Mega Mans have you finished? Okay, they're evil. In fact, this one has a lot of DNA, uh, common DNA with Mega Man because it was the same, the same developer. It was Capcom. And, um, you know, you go through a stage, you get a power up from the, after you defeat the boss, and then you use that power up to access previously inaccessible areas. So um, it had a lot in common with that. And they, those games were notoriously hard. And they still are. But, you know, when you're playing with a DuckTales theme song behind you, you know, you can't help but smile a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, but I really, I really dig those games. I hope I, I, I not, I might be uh, uninformed about this, but like I think the other Disney games have also been remastered. No, like, I, no, none of them got the same treatment. They just updated them for 1080p displays. Oh, uh, that's a shame. I was hoping they, they just do, like, updated them, Castle. but they're still eight um, bits. Don't get me um, wrong; they're still good games. You can get them now. Um, but, you know, the, you, yeah, you can get uh, Rescue Rangers, you can get Darkwing Duck and all that, but they all still look the way they did 30 years ago. Yeah, like, you know, uh, you know fun fact, you know, the person who uh, was the artist for um, DuckTales was also the artist for uh, Mega Man. No kidding. Huh, that Same. makes so much sense. <laughs> no, that really does. Three-point landing! But how about you? I mean, what 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 were other remakes uh, have you been playing or looking forward to, or even just remasters for that matter? Uh, well, in addition to FF Seven remake, um, I actually also just finished playing those Resident the Resident Evil Three remake. Uh, did I discuss this in the last episode? I feel like I did, or I'm just in too many podcasts now. <laughs> I I don't know, but that's like the second time you plugged your other show, so maybe I should go <laughs> listen to that. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, so the other game I reviewed right before Final Fantasy VII remake was Resident Evil Three parenthesis twenty twenty. I say that because um, unlike remake, unlike Final Fantasy VII, the word remake is not appended to the end of these games. Right, uh, right. Yeah, so actually, just to, just, just to go back to Final Fantasy VII remake without saying too much again, it's called Final Fantasy VII remake. The word remake at the end of that title is freaking deliberate. Why? Why is it deliberate? Because this because is not just a reskin. It's not just a reskin. It's not just a retelling. Like the word remake, like really sort of portends like the future of that series. In fact, I think uh, there's a lot of like discussion right now about the future of the games and how they might call it the next game, Final Fantasy VII Reunion, Final Fantasy VII Resurrected, you know, that kind of thing. Because you can't put Final Fantasy VII Remake Episode 1. It just sounds like an awful, an awful clunky name, especially you know, you know what I mean. A, a series, another series, another famous video game console series that I do not have like long devotion or fandom for. And um, again, I took up the the review duty for that. And Resident Evil Three, it's the one with Jill Valentine in it. <clears throat> I think Sienna Guillory played her in a movie. Uh, and, a couple times, yeah, yeah, a couple times. And no, nothing particularly memorable. No, no. <laughs> we'll we'll go yeah. into that later, or maybe another day. Video game movies. Yeah, Ugh. yeah we, we should. Uh, you know, just so that we have an excuse to talk about Mortal Kombat. Am I right? And Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah. 
no, so sorry, Resident Evil Three uh, tells retells the story of of Jill Valentine trying to escape a zombie, a, a beleaguered and under siege Raccoon City, while being hunted by a towering, you know, hulking menace known as Nemesis, who used to be the titular bad guy. Yeah, the titular bad guy. Yeah, because in the previous game it was called Resident Evil Three: Colon Nemesis. Right. Yeah, and this is my first time experiencing that game. That You've never played experience. Resident Evil Three. Uh, I played it, but I didn't finish it. So this is so, probably played at completion. But you know that that horrible, horrible feeling when, when that guy is like breathing down the back of your neck. Yeah, especially because you know, um, especially like, since it controlled like a tank back in the day. Yeah, not just that. He also like has a rocket launcher arm, and like it's one thing when. It's one thing when Incredible Hulk is running after you or the Abomination or even Mr. X from Resident Evil 2 is chasing after you and he's going thoom, thoom, thoom and he's going to pound you with his fist. <laughs> right. It's another thing if it's the same thing and he has a rocket launcher for an arm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a yeah. terrible skin condition. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, so I'm, a, I'm kind of a newcomer to the whole thing and I think this is a game that converted me. Like, really? I did not... Yeah, because um, I like I said, no, no real fandom. But okay, at the end okay. of it, at the, at the end of it, I was just like, I love you, Joe Valentine. You're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're my hero. You are your your anger and frustration with all the fucking bullshit ab- about being harassed by this thing. I feel you, girl. I feel Dude, you. she's having like the worst <laughs> day ever. How who wouldn't be pissed off? Yeah, and you know. When when the game start, when I started playing the game, like you already know, I'm a big fan of Tomb Raider 2013. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Another reimagining. Mm-hmm. When 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 Jill Valentine starts falling from great heights, mm-hmm. uh, thrown thrown around by explosions and narrowly dodging falling debris, I'm kind of like, wait, this is very very familiar. It's <laughs> a lot like it's not like a lot like another game I really love. <laughs> I don't know. I think you just have a thing for strong women. Fair, fair. I think so too. I think I relate to their angry energy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Because, okay. yeah. yeah. No, no, no. No, but, no. no you first. <laughs> yeah, so male, because male characters in video games are often depicted as, you know, filled with cool, steely, cool resolve. You know what I mean? But uh, female characters, like, you know, in the future, I hope, or even sooner, I hope, the mold is broken, but for now, that's how that's what we got. Like male characters have still resolve, and the, the the female characters are all like, "I am so sick of this shit," and like you know what, rightly so. <laughs> I don't know. Nathan Drake always struck me as more of more of Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China than anything else. He's like, oh, he, definitely. I he's think, always I think in over Vegas. his head, but I think that's yeah, part they, of his charm. That's why he stands out. Because you're right, every other character is this. Granite jawed, steely eyed, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, tough guy. Yeah, like, and I say, um, like, the, like, and I, um, like the hero in uh, in Days Gone or whatever. Yeah, Days Gone or eight yeah, million yeah. other games. Yeah, or even you know, and no offense, and even even The Last of Us is is to some extent like that. Uh, Joel, that is true, but that's why yeah. I was surprised that the story, despite eight million cliches, somehow yeah works. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. for like, all like, of like, its flaws, I was like, I really dig the writing on this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sorry. I know it's not your cup of tea, but I, I, I really connected with it. No, I, 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 I wouldn't say forgive, but I would say like I, I understand when this story connects with other people, and also just because I, you know, threw down a little bit of like shade at, at, at Joel, it doesn't necessarily invalidate the entire story around him because you know, dunking on a character's like cliche traits. Doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of the story has suddenly become like not worth experiencing. You know what I mean? No, but seriously, even I was surprised, you know, because I review movies for a living and Mm -hmm. I'm trained to spot, you know, tropes and cliches and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And this Last of Us had every single cliche and trope from every single zombie movie ever that you could think of completely. And yet Mm -hmm. somehow they were able to make it into something, you know, something that still some came across as um, entertaining and genuine. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it was, yeah, I was surprised. I did not expect mm-hmm. that. And hey, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, as much as I'm making fun of right now, the granite jaws, whatever, steely-eyed, you know, bastards, like I, 
I dig those characters. I dig I dig more than my fair share of those characters. Max Payne. Gears of War. Gears of War. Gears of War. Yeah, Max Payne. Gears of War. Uh, you know, even th- Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell with, you know, Michael Ironside as Sam Bishop. Oh, man. I was shit. so mad when they replaced Michael Ironside. What the actual he, hell? Uh, I'm under the impression that he make, that he's, uh, that he can he, come back. He's doing the new one. No, he voiced a cameo role. God damn it. No, I thought, but, no, no, no. I, I didn't say he was in the last one. I mean, he's going to be in the next one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. But, um... All right, so th- there there is no official news of Splinter Cell, despite the fact that I really want there to be another Splinter Cell. Uh, but uh, open a open a developing a, pub- a publishing a game developer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they, but definitely, I think if if Splinter Cell suddenly became on the cards, like Mike Ironside has already expressed the fact that he's he's ready and that his relationship with Ubisoft still exists. You know what I mean? Like they're still talking because otherwise they won't have been able to get him for that cameo appearance on Ghost Week on Wildlands. And even when, when the character yeah. was taken over by Eric Johnson for Splinter Cell Blacklist, he was still involved as a, as a consultant. Yeah. And I think the excuse was he couldn't do the motion capture or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to say, um, one of my favorite Xbox titles ever is Splinter Cell Conviction, like bar none. Oh, I, that, I love that one too. My God, I love that one so much. That's uh, the, you know, Jack Bauer simulator. <laughs> right. <laughs> it really was. I was. I was so stressed out by that game. I gotta um, show you some, I gotta show you some video of like, you know, some uh, expert play of that game. I just saw some this morning while randomly looking around YouTube and I was like, holy crap, this guy did the Andre Coben like mansion mission. In under eight minutes. I am not going to do a speed run of Splinter Cell. <laughs> no, but you got to watch the speed run. No, you watch the nor speed will run. I aspire to it. It's like those maniacs who run through Mar- Super Mario Brothers in eight minutes. Well, I honestly believe that speed running is a young man's game. And, you know, once you're over the age of 30, <laughs> you know, that's it. That's it. That's it. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, earlier you touched on... Earlier you touched on Tomb Raider 2013. I want to talk about that because... All the games that we mentioned previously had pre-existing incarnations. All of them were remakes of something, whether it was Final Fantasy or DuckTales or Resident mm. Evil. In this case, Tomb Raider 2013 had none, none of that. All it had yes, was essentially 20 years of history behind it. 20 years yeah. of Lara Croft, arguably the most famous female video game character of all time. And yeah. it was a reboot um, that pretty much ignored almost everything that came before in order to tell a new grounded story about Lara Croft. Someone yeah. who's been defined mostly by, you know, her chest size and her 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 British accent than anything else. Okay, so I wanna I I, I wanna go over this like because I'm a big like I'm I'm a big Lara Croft nerd now. You know, like, yeah, okay, tell so, us about your strong woman fetish. No, no, no. So like uh the thing about Lara Croft, you said Tomb Raider 2013 was based on quote-unquote nothing. And like that's absolutely accurate in the sense that when you do a remake or a reinvention, the general habit is to retell an, an, a story, an origin story or an, existing, or an existing story. And the thing about right. Tomb Raider 2013 is that the story is actually not one that had been presented on video game screen before. Um, right. They, they actually did one of those like reimagining of the first game before it was called Tomb Raider Anniversary and Tomb Raider Which Anniversary I enjoyed. yeah was was so like when Tomb Raider 2013 showed up they already did the the remaster basically right right yeah and so this is more like a reinvention of the character this is and this I is think, a reboot this is Star Trek 2009 yeah for Lara Croft. Well, I, I think it's very I think it's also a reinvention of the character because like you said, the character was defined by her chest size and her British accent. And I think also for some fans who are, who are sincerely in love with the, the original, the original version of that character, she was a. Very I don't know nice if love is the four. I don't think love is the four-letter L word that you're going for, but yeah, I'll allow it. Uh, for so she's a '90s hero, so uh, she's got that thing in common with Xena, Warrior Princess, and lots of other, uh, you know, like. She's a strong female character, not because they developed her with a complex psychology, but because she's like, I've got witty one-liners. I laugh at men's faces. I, you know, do crazy extreme things that, you know, basically it's a... It's Oi, don't you, 
Don't you besmirch Xena. Xena had more character development than Lara Croft ever had in her she, first 20 she, years. Definitely, but that's the mold Xena's come from. And then she developed because she had seven seasons of television to make her a very rich, robust character. And boy, you have to check out the YouTube channel for Xena. It suddenly came to life on YouTube. And now they're just dumping like clips, out of context clips of that show all the time on YouTube. It's great. I love it. I consume it like show. thrill. <laughs> Such a good show, though. And yeah, yeah, six yeah, seasons, good. not seven. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, no, but Sorry, anyway, Tomb so, so, so they reinvented the character. And instead of her being sort of like this cocky, cocksure, you know, always got a one-liner cool, you know, uh, person, which is kind of a cartoon, but it's still a very, it's an empowering cartoon. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, bang, bang, cool. Um, this version of Lara Croft is more of like a grounded, like you said, grounded character, uh, a survivor as the marketing likes to present her as. Right, wherein right. A lot of it, a, she, wherein she becomes a strong and capable woman, but it's also presented as uh, a story of overcoming uncertainty and, you know, of, of overcoming like great challenges, which is, you know, cool. They're, they're, two they're two characters who are very different from each other, but they also, you know, exemplify a template of a strong female character. Well, you know, you're absolutely right on that on that front, and something I appreciated because just uh, background for everybody. I remember the day that I was at my friend's house and we booted up this new game called Tomb Raider, and it was the most amazing thing we'd ever seen. In the first twenty minutes alone, you know, you end up gunning down wolves, uh, you avoid Indiana Jones style death traps. And you end up you end up gunning down a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So come on, there, what was there not to love? And <laughs> here was this, um, what you said, the 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 '90s cliche of a strong, independent woman who is defined not by any sort of character or 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 growth or traits that they gave her, so much as she can do Action. whatever a guy can do. Yeah, but she's got boobs. Because that's yeah. that that was by and large how strong '90s women were depicted before more nuanced depictions in stuff like Buffy or Xena and whatnot. But anyway, the the thing was, I mean, if you look at that original Tomb Raider now, aside from the fact that it's incredibly quaint, okay, <laughs> it's incredibly quaint, and the quaintness was something they did away with by the time they rebooted, they remastered it as Tomb Raider Anniversary, which is essentially the same game but pretty for the PS3. But the problem was, by that point, there'd been, what, eight, nine different Tomb Raider games already? And most of them mm. came out, like, within a year of each other. Yeah, they, they, did the whole, they did the whole Ubisoft or Activision annual release, grind it out, churn it out strategy. That's horrible. But with, that was horrible. But with, with, but with way less success, with way worse results than any of your mediocre Call of Duties or kind of meh Assassin's Creed. Oh, God. I had to stop at three because I got so yeah. sick of it. I had to stop at three. I think I picked it up again around Tomb Raider Legend a couple of years later. But by that point, they'd already rebooted it, I think, twice. Because they kept yeah. changing your backstory. And that's yeah. why when they said that they were actually going to do a game centering on a backstory that we'd never seen before, that got, my in that got my interest. Because for the first time, and when you're playing it, you can see this. For the first time, it makes Lara Croft superhuman supermodel, gunfighter, archaeologist, Indiana Jones, knockoff, she becomes an actual human being. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also tapped into, I think 2013 Tomb Raider like came at the right time because it tapped into this sort of like nexus of Hunger Games and 127 Hours, wherein there was this sort of like air around pop culture that was very fixated on survivalism. Right, and, right. Uh, and, 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 uh, sort of like violence and just and um fraught circumstances. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like this perfect video game for that year, I think. But I like it because I think you go almost like 40 minutes before she actually has to kill a dude. Yeah. Because it's something that she has to learn. Something that, that that's forced upon her. She's not an indestructible killing machine when this game starts. She's just yeah. as innocent and as innocent as a as a globetrotting adventurer would be before their first kill, I suppose. But, yeah, it's a, um, she's, a, she's a grad student, basically. I mean, you know. Right, uh, right. <laughs> uh, I think kudos also to uh, Camilla Ludington 
the British actress who plays uh, Lara Croft in the mocap and in the voice acting performance of the character. Uh, I believe oh, I didn't know she did the mocap. Oh, I thought she was just a yeah. voice. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, she did all. She did all the all, most of the mocap. I don't think she does every stunt, of course, but so, right, you know, enough right. for like for key scenes at least. Yeah, for sure. But here's yeah. something I noticed though. There's something interesting. Um, something just about how entertainment is circular. Okay, um, if you remember why the developers chose to make Lara female in that first game, because mm-hmm. they easily could have just made it, you know, a nondescript Indiana Jones type, like yeah. every other every other Indiana Jones knockoff out Ooh. there. Like a, like a they, like a like they, a cocktail napkin and that like a cocktail napkin Nathan Drake. <laughs> we'll we'll get to Nathan Drake. Don't worry. But in this case, this is something. This was like they the they famously said the the developers they said that you know if you're going to be staring at somebody's behind for twenty hours on end, then it may as well be a nice behind. So they chose <laughs> to make her female, and yeah. I mean, they, they, the way they said it was a lot more colorful, a lot more British. But yeah, um, and they 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 even conceptualized the character as an American of Latina descent at first because her name was La- Laura Cruz, I think. Right. And then they right. decided that uh, they, some people might have difficulty pro- British people might have a difficulty pronouncing that or something for some reason, <laughs> and so they changed White it people. to Lara Croft. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I could be mistaken oh, yeah. though on that on that recollection. I'll have to go check my. I have a Tomb Raider coffee table book somewhere here. I also have a Tomb Raider coffee table book. (laughs) We have the same coffee table book, don't we? It's the white one, the 20th anniversary, right? We have the same coffee table book. Okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) But the quote I was citing, which I'm sure is in that book, um, I got it out of Time Magazine like 20, 25 years ago when I played the first one because I remember just being so obsessed with it. And mm-hmm. I loved it because I loved the Indiana Jones movies and I loved video games. And here was this character that was essentially a combination of both. Because to this day, Indy hasn't had a decent video game since, I don't know, Fate of Atlantis, which is a point and click. It's barely, it's not an adventure game. It's not, I mean, it's not an action game by any stretch. But yeah. um, in any case, so Lara Croft was seen as like an Indiana Jones knockoff, but she was able to build her brand. People fell in love with this character. She was everywhere. She was on the cover of magazines. She got a couple of terrible Angelina Jolie movies out, you know. Douglas Cupland, famed, famed uh, youth novelist Douglas Cupland, wrote the introduction to her coffee table book or something. <laughs> really? Yep. <Huh>. Yep. <laughs> okay, okay. But the thing was, by the time that um, the early 2000s came out, the early to mid-2000s came out, the first decade, Lara Croft was passé for all intents and purposes, okay? They had the anniversary release, which showed that there was still life in the property, but there were new, new, no new titles. Whatever space that Lara had in the pop culture consciousness, as far as video games were concerned, was uh, taken by Nathan Drake. Uh, Uncharted yeah. filled the hole where Lara Croft used to be to the point that when the first gameplay footage of Uncharted was shown at E3, people called it Dude Raider because they were calling yeah. that a knockoff. Yeah, so they were calling if, it dude, if, dude Raider, and, if, then, and then and then when when the reboot Two Bear came out, they were calling it like, "Oh, she's just Nathan Drake." I know <laughs> because exactly she, she does right. all because she, she does all of, all that climbing stuff that Nathan Drake loves, right. you know, the upper body strength stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's what I mean. Like entertainment is circular. Okay, she started out as an Indiana Jones knockoff, then she did her own thing, then all of a sudden, you know, Nathan Drake is a Lara Croft knockoff. And then next thing you know, Lara Croft is a Nathan Drake knockoff. Time is a flat circle. (laughs) It gets tiring. It gets tiring. But what I can say, uh, no, but what I can say as to that, as far as that's, um, there are comparisons to be made between Tomb Raider and Uncharted. But I like (sighs) to see that in the years where they kind of overlapped, that there Mm -hmm. were definite learnings from each other. And I I appreciated how each one essentially made the other one better. Because, you know, competition is mm. a good thing. And in that yeah. case, I didn't mind it because they were both trying to do different things. They're both trying to tell different stories. And, you know, there's plenty of room for, you know, tomb raiding archaeologists who are handy with guns and mystical artifacts. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the struggles that, one of the struggles that has always haunted the Tomb Raider brand prior to the reboot was the fact that Lara Croft became popular in the media through strong marketing and, you know, and an excitable 
mainstream press that wanted to sell games like sexy because this is the rise of Mad Mad culture. And then there were these and then there were these games that they were making that weren't necessarily bad, but they weren't really very good either. And I think Idos Entertainment, Idos Interactive or and Core Design, the people behind those games, like they didn't know how to marry the mainstream sizzle with the games in a meaningful way. Do you know what I mean? Like harnessing all that energy that centered around her looks, her sex appeal, her her virtual personality, because it's 1999, or her her cyber goddessness. They didn't know how to harness that and make it a part of what makes the games appealing also. That's true. That's true. That's why a lot of, after Lara Croft came out, a lot of game publishers thought they were just enough to put, you know, uh, a busty woman on the cover of the box and it would sell. Yeah. I mean, they would, they would always look for reasons to put busty women on, on the cover <laughs> of a box. Well, you know, before that, but true, now they were like, they were rarely, oh, she's got to be the, they were rarely be the lead main protagonist. Characters. They were rarely main yeah, characters. Yeah. Exactly. Or they were they were just uh, bullshit art. You know what I mean? Like, there'll be a fantasy role-playing game right. you know, set in Dungeons and & Dragons, and then there'll be uh, an unnamed female character in a chainmail bikini on the cover. Absolutely. But rightly or wrongly, because of the yeah. path that Lara Croft trailblazed, Suddenly, yeah. it was okay to put a woman up front and center and have her be a playable character. So, yeah. coming back to it all those years later with the Tomb Raider remake 2013, which coincidentally is very recent for me because, again, I've been going through my backlog and I play replaying <laughs> a lot of old titles. So, I just finished Tomb Raider 2013 um, two days ago. So, you got your. Oh, cool. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I, I say, know you, it's you, you got your video. I was gonna, I was gonna just joke around and say you've got video games on the brain lately. We haven't really had time in the episode to talk about TV and movies as well. Um, no, we'll get there, or we can do that another time. It's cool. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just that this is this is this is relevant because you know you don't yeah. really. I'm happy when I can see a successful reinvention of a classic property, something that can mm. appeal to longtime fans and invite new ones in to see what all the fuss is about. That's why yeah, it yeah. hurts me when you have things that are remakes only in name. And that's fine if you're remaking something that was garbage in the first place, like the original Ocean's Eleven. The original is so mm-hmm. boring. It was just an excuse for Frank Sinatra and his friends to hang around in Vegas for a month or two. Uh, but those, isn't, isn't that what Adam Sandler does? That is what Adam Sandler does, <laughs> but at least Adam Sandler's honest about it. Now, now <laughs> I would love to see an, an Ocean's Eleven headed up by Adam Sandler. With Kevin James and David Spade, uh. <laughs> Rob Schneider with some crazy accent. That that's that's a re, that's a remake. I will not admit to seeing. <laughs> <laughs> I and the, yeah, but you know, three million people will watch it on Netflix, so they renew his contract again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love it when a remake is done well. Honestly, and now there's talk that they're going to be remastering old um, some of the early 3D Mario games for Ooh. the Switch. Like we're talking like Mario 64, and um, I don't know. I think Mario you know, Sun. I think Mario Galaxy and Mario Sunshine. Even right, right. The stuff that was on the Wii, Wii U. Mm. Yeah, console. why not? I mean, it's going to take a while for the next Mario. Nintendo takes its sweet time releasing new installments of its most marquee franchises. So. You know, but they're, they're going to ri- ride they're, ride this switch train as far as they can take them. They might as well. Hey, be, but be aren't they stuff. almost always worth the wait? Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you just want to capitalize on that, right? Especially, like, especially, especially since they have to make up for shortfalls that they experienced during the time of the Nintendo Wii U. You know, with the, you know, I feel bad for the Wii U. It, I think it doesn't get a fair shake. Mm-hmm. I think it was a decent console with a decent library, a tiny ass library, but decent. Its main sin was being named the Wii U. So everyone just thought it like it was an upgraded Wii. Yeah, yeah. And that's the problem because people would buy Wii U games for their Wii and they right. find out they didn't work. Because who the hell <laughs> names a console a Wii U with a smiley? Yeah, it just looks it just looks like a nondescript blue square. So like, you know, you just if you're if you're a 40-year-old whatever you know, a person buying for your kids and you look at the boxes and you're like, oh, it's a Wii game, right? Right. (laughs) And it can't be read by it. But that's why it's incredibly gratifying that the Switch has been a home run since day one. And Nintendo is taking the chance to bring out old games that nobody saw because they didn't even bother to give the Wii U a chance. So putting them on this new console is just, you know, it's, it's good stuff. 
like Wonderful 101, the Mario Kart 8, you know, um, mm-hmm, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I think what's also cool about the Switch is that, you know, I mean, independent games get re-released all the time and as many platforms as they can find themselves uh, find themselves a home. But I think the Nintendo Switch is great because it's giving an opportunity also for the indie games to get re-released there as well. And they're, and they're, they're such a natural environment for indie games on the Switch because indie games, like some of the best indie games are visual novels. And sometimes I don't want to sit on my computer, which I'm already on for a very long time in a day. Yes, just you to are. Play a video game. Yeah, just to play a video game that is a visual novel when I can do it on the, on the Switch and lots of other games. So yeah, uh, indie games, check them all out on the, on the Switch. They always have an indie direct every, every few months uh, highlighting great new indie games on, on the platform. Oh man, I just remembered something else. There's something else that I was playing around the time that I was playing the original Tomb Raider. And uh-huh. it is also being remastered now. Oh, what's that? Command and Conquer. Ooh, that's right. <laughs> that's coming out on the, on, on the, on the Switch. Dude, on, Command, on, on, on and Con- Command and Conquer and Red Alert. Those were like some of my formative gaming experiences. Oh, I had so much fun. I'm not sure if I'll spend a lot of time with that to be released, but I'll definitely... I'll throw five or ten bucks at it to, to goof around with it for a couple of hours. Sure, why not? No, you want you know what I want to do is I want to get on that and then get on a network and murder new players. That's what I want to do. Um, mm, did I'm you, not gonna say it. <laughs> did you read about that? Um, how some some how how there was um, cross play. A crossplay feature on Jedi Knight Jedi Academy by ac- oh yeah I by heard ac- it. complete accident you could play uh, yes against, I heard about against that PC you... players using your Switch and the only trouble with that is the PC guys had a 17 year head start to learn how to use their lightsabers yep and we're using mouse keyboard controls so you know <laughs> so the so, kids so had no idea legions, what hit them so legions of Switch players found themselves murdered and brutalized by. By by PCs who have been waiting their entire life for an in, for an <laughs> expanded player base. Absolutely. Yeah. But I I know there's one remaster that we're both looking to forward to. It's uh, either going to be a remaster or a remake. I don't care, but I'm going to get it. Okay. What is it? What is it? What are we talking about? Oh, I'm excited already. Blade Runner. That's right. Blade Runner mm-hmm. remaster. Yeah, yes. those two games. Um, actually. Command and Conquer remastered and Blade Runner remastered. Those are two games whose developer, who share a developer, uh, Westwood Studios. I don't know who's doing the remasterings for both games. Wait, that's wrong. I do know who those are. Oh, I'd be disappointed um, if you didn't. The ones who are doing a Blade Runner remastered are Night Dive Studios, and the ones who are doing the Command and Conquer remastered are Petroglyph Studios, who are. But anyway, <laughs> nerd. What uh, I like about the Command and Conquer remasters is that they're being very open and transparent with the community. In yeah, the, it's so in the, crazy. Re- the like, resources you know, that they have, <laughs> the the remastering that they're doing, the efforts they have. They're not doing anything without um, consulting the people who've loved it for like two decades now, and it's incredible the amount of back and forth, the amount of input that real fans can have on something they're going to be spending their money on eventually. Yeah, I, I want to get to that with, I want to get to that what thing you're saying about the resources thing. Like I think what's super cool about the the Command and Conquer remastered project. I don't know if you can say the same thing about Blade Runner. We might have to jump over that uh, yeah. the risk of running overtime or well, you know, like the Command and Conquer remastered project interesting because it's an exercise in archaeology and because they're sharing all the details of how that remastered process is going we get to participate and enjoy as fans and viewers and readers in that archaeology. Like, I love the fact that uh, they lost, they didn't have the audio files in the quality that they desired. Right. So they tracked down the original actress who used to be a production assistant right. at the old Command and Conquer studio to redo her voice lines. And that was super cool. And, you know, she had taken care of herself in terms of like her voice. So right. she sounded like you can you can sense a little bit of aging, but by and large, she sounds pretty like close to the to, to 
how she sounded 20 years ago. Right, right. And then the same could be said for the audio tracks. They got the original composer to come back and actually remaster, remix, reproduce his original tracks. Uh, I'm sure Frank, most of the, you know, historically speaking, most of the people who have worked with past EA studios, mm-hmm. uh, in spite of working with EA, have been willing <laughs> to come back, come back to the work. So Frank Lapaki coming back <laughs> to, uh, to to Command and Conquerors, to me, seems like, it seems like it's, it was always going to happen, not to take him for granted. In the same way that if you call George Olsey right now and tell him, hey, we need you to do some Wing Commander music, he's going to fucking do it. <laughs> Shout out to that Wing Commander box over there in the upper left. Uh, hey, it's Mark Hamill and Malcolm yeah, McDowell. So, yeah, and uh, the other thing I thought was super cool is that they, for the videos, all the videos of Command and Conquer, because um, the game is famous for its full motion video sequences. Right, like, right. It was one of the one of the few games that was an interactive movie that wasn't a point and click adventure game, and they had. The audio it's stored in like I think VHS or tape quality. I think they have some of the film, but it's not great. No, and they don't. They, they don't have any of it. That's the problem. Yeah, and they turned to the online film nerd community <laughs> to remaster the game. In right, the they've like, been using AI to upres to upscale yeah. the resolution of the footage that they had because all they had was like yeah. old MPEGs. They couldn't find sh- the original footage, the original film footage that was shot, which breaks my heart. But on the other hand, I like that it retains that old school pixely feel. Yeah, but the AI the AI upscaling is like you said it retains the old school look in the sense that it has a fuzziness that uh, is honest to what the material is. Right. But the upscaling also makes it so that it looks viable in a nineteen twenty by ten eighty uh, on a modern on a modern monitor. That's and true. And so that's gonna be cool. Like I just I just love I've seen a video. Upscaling stuff and it looks super cool. I and saw it. So, it looks yeah. great. It looks great. But I mean, it's clearly not up to, you know, the standards that I would prefer personally. You know me. I, I like my Blu-rays. Yeah. I, and I like my HD. But in this case, it fits. Mm-mm. And so that's what I want to see moving forward. Like, I want to see, like, after all these remakes, you know, from, from, from Final Fantasy VII Remake all the way to Command & Conquer Remastered, like, I would love to see more stories about, like, the process of, of 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 remaking games, not just like the technical aspects or, yeah. and the whole yeah. like what it takes to to make things better, right. but also the historical part of uncovering its stuff and the creative part of relitigating past decisions and saying, well, we made those decisions at the time because we thought they were the best. Now we're revisiting it. Does does this do these choices need to be remade? Do they need to be reconsidered? And I think that's what. Art and pop culture entertainment, you know, is really all about is like trying to make some of the best quality entertainment for everybody in a way that, you know, makes everybody happy and makes everybody like, you know, feel great. Absolutely. And the thing about remakes is that even if they don't turn out entirely the way that old fans may have hoped, you know, nine times out of 10, you can always go back to your old standbys. You know they're not going. Yeah. They're not going anywhere. You can always look, load up an emulator, or go onto Steam and look for your old favorites, and they'll be right where you. They'll be just the way you remember them. Exactly. Um, and at the end of the day, what I, what what for me personally, what I like to see from my entertainment, whether it's on the big screen or it's on a video game console or if it's on a PC or whatever, I just want to see something that doesn't insult the viewer something that doesn't insult the player. Whether or not they know everything that came before or whether they're coming in cold, they deserve to be entertained. Because (laughs) otherwise, what the hell are you plopping down your money for, right? (laughs) It's the solace we need in these times. (laughs) (laughs) These trying times. These trying times. I swear. If I hear these trying times and the new normal one more time, God. Oh my God, yeah. Like, anyway, I think that has been an episode. Yeah, it, that, that was a good one. I have been Matthew. I'm Misha. Come back next time when we talk about remakes and remasters of old movies and TV shows. Hopefully, we remember this by the time it comes to when we have to record. This has been Three Point Landing, signing off.
This episode of Three Point Landing was produced, recorded, and distributed under quarantine by Big Baby Studios. Follow us on Facebook at Three Point Landing PH.